everybody and welcome to today's podcast. You're listening to the Safety Conversation with SHP. My name is Mark Glover. I'm the editor of SHP. Uh, as hopefully you know, I'm delighted to say that joining us today on this podcast is Matthew Elson, CEO at Evertix. Matthew, are you there? It's nice to see you. Hi, Mark. Yeah, great to, great to catch up. So what's uh, this podcast going to be on, you may ask? Usually we have a uh, specific topic, driver safety, apprenticeships, manual handling. Uh, but myself and Matthew, we sat down well a while ago now, actually, over Teams and just tried to throw around a few ideas about what we could uh, talk about. Originally, the idea was around technology adoption, but we found ourselves touched on so many other important elements beyond this. So basically, we're still going to talk about technology adoption in the sector. But there are some other, um, I guess, big picture themes that we're, we're quite keen to explore too. So Matthew, should we, should we go straight into that big question, I, I guess? Why, why would a health and safety professional perhaps be wary about integrating new technology into their strategy? And it's something I hear a lot. After all, things might have been going fine. We've always done things this way before. Why would I want to, want to change? It'd be interesting to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, interesting question, Mark. And for sure, when we talk to customers, it's a big decision, right? It's a big decision. It's a high anxiety decision. I mean, first of all, it's a big ticket item. It's probably the largest purchase the EHS professional is going to make. Um, It's a long term decision. uh, And it's a decision that has very high visibility in their organization. Successful implementation of an EHS solution gets technology into every employee's hands. And I guess we've all experienced being the victims, if you like, if that's the right word, of technology choices that we haven't necessarily enjoyed using. And so, you know, I think for our buyer, uh, this is potentially career shaping or, you know, on the anxiety side, career limiting. And so, uh, you know, it's a big decision and they need to have confidence that they're making the right one. The other thing is that, and sometimes our customers might not be so aware of this, but they're embarking not just on a technology adoption, but an organizational change program. Because uh, as you put in technology, one of the things that it forces you to do is to be clear about your processes and how your workflows work, uh, because the technology is going to codify those and standardize them across the organization. So there's kind of that process thinking, but it's also an organizational change program because this isn't just about technology and process, it's all about people. And so the need to get people on board, engaging with the new technology uh, and driving that improvement in safety that that we're looking for. And so kind of that whole package of things makes this a a big decision for our customers. And so naturally one that they're likely to be anxious about. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, Matthew. You're right. There is so much more to it, I think, than some, some people might think than something out of the box. And, and a manual and um but i guess it's still complex no matter no matter what we say and they're affected by so many of those factors that that, that you mentioned but is it possible to give an example or say what a good technology solution might look like i guess three things stand out for me beyond the obvious that the technology needs to have the right functionality for to meet your requirements um the first thing as I've already been saying, is that successful deployment of technology gets into every employee's hands. So as health and safety professionals, there's a bunch of things we need to to do. We need to record, investigate our incidents, follow through the actions, understand our risks and mitigations, make sure our people are trained, et cetera. But we all know that the, the real 
improvement in safety lies in embedding uh, safety thinking in day-to-day activity. So we're aiming to get good technology into employees' hands that is going to help them in their day-to-day activities and is going to kind of embed that safety thinking uh, in in the organization. And so I think thinking, you know, a successful deployment therefore has to have the right kind of usability and uh, it needs to be something that's really adding value to employees. The second thing is because this is such a long-term decision, I think it's important to therefore to have a flexible uh, solution that that stands the test of time. So, you know, a vendor that's uh, investing continuously in the latest technologies, software that's highly configurable and can be adapted in the customer's hands. And beyond the software, working with a partner who's kind of a a good long-term partner uh, for the journey because this is a long-term relationship. And then the third thing, and I think we might come back to this a little bit more, is that safety is a core operational system, right? It's not a standalone uh, solution. It needs to fit in with that wider kind of operational ecosystem uh, and integrate well. And the question then, you know, is, is how does the solution enhance kind of safety's positioning as, as a core operational discipline? Let's talk about sort of widen up the conversation now and and I think the impact of technology, you know, rather than tangible thing, is it's still pretty symbolic. And it, nowadays, I think it's probably most very recent, you know, the last five, ten years, probably the last five years, it's really exploded. I think it represents the broad role of the modern health and safety professional, not just carrying out a risk assessment or or putting in a safe system of work. Uh, they're expected to understand this solution, implement the solution. They need to sell those benefits to to the board who want to understand an ROI and why they want to do it and this kind of comes around softer skills doesn't it really I guess and uh, if you like but still when you strip it all back uh, they all still want to carry out safe operations still want to carry out good safety management of which there are many parts the first I guess as you as you mentioned is around these operational disciplines um, which would be really interesting to get into actually can is it possible to unpack this and define these operational disciplines? Yeah I'm passionate about positioning safety as a core operational discipline that's adding value as part of the operations ecosystem. And let me let me put out a challenge, right? So too often, too often our message is we need to keep people safe. And that's objectively true. But the problem with that statement is that the the likely response is going to be fine, right? How do we do that at a minimum cost? So it's kind of positioning safety as a a cost or a burden that, that we need to bear. And we've just got that all the wrong way around um, because actually great safety practice adds a huge amount of value to operations. So what makes a great operation? So we're looking for efficiency. We're looking for predictability, reliability, continuous improvement. Right? We're trying to kind of avoid disruption, breakdowns, variability, non-conformances. And if you think about the safety processes that we talk about so much, right, those are exactly the disciplines that we apply as we try to manage safety effectively. So I'm simplifying a bit here, but you no, know, no, the yeah, basic safety yeah. process, right, assess the operational yeah. task, plan and communicate how to carry it out safely, record any incidents and near misses, investigate put corrective actions and preventative measures in place. It's just like operations. So, and, and that kind of safety management process reinforces all of those other elements of the operations ecosystem. Right? The elements are the same, plan, communicate, measure, investigate, act. 
And I think that's a, let, me, let me give you a little example uh, where sure. we're kind of really bringing safety and operations together. So let's imagine, let's imagine that I'm a, a fitter, a mechanic, uh, and I've been given the task of doing an overhaul on, on a piece of kit on the shop floor. I haven't done it for six months. Right? Traditionally, what would I do? Well, probably I'd go to the filing cabinet, I'd get out the binder, I'd flick through some pages, uh, you know, hopefully I will have understood what it is that I need to do. And, you know, I'd go to the I'd go to the machine. Maybe I'd have, I've got a sort of a, a manual checklist of things to, to, to check before I can start. I do my lockout, tag out and off I go. Um, mm-hmm. Imagine instead that uh, I take a tablet, I go to the machine, I scan a QR code. That brings up for me kind of a rich menu of sort of micro video and content. uh, Maybe I do a quiz to prove that I've understood what it is that I need to do. I I complete my kind of checklist. I do my lockout, tag out, and I start my task. Now, we come at that, of course, from a safety perspective, right? We say that that person is as well informed as they can be to do that job safely, but actually, it's, it's an operational perspective, right? Because we're instructing them and providing them with kind of information that helps them to do that task effectively. And so that's where bringing, that's a good example of where bringing kind of safety and operational practice together kind of creates that great alignment. Um, you know, show me a facility that's got great safety performance, but poor operational performance, right? You just don't yeah. see them. They're, they're completely aligned. You talked before about getting technology into every reluctant employees hands why, why perhaps do you think this is so critical yeah i, I just think it's, it's important to be embedding safety thinking in day-to-day activity um there's only so far you can get with the safety case the rules and the procedures but right? you can't do a risk assessment for every task anyway at some at some level people are only going to follow the rules to the extent that they're convenient to them now i'm not saying that rules and procedures aren't important but mm. uh, what i am saying is let's not risk undermining the most critical instructions by bloating the safety case with with too much kind of rule and procedure. And then for the rest, we're relying on engaging with our employees, who after all are the ones who really understand the task properly, both in the planning and in the day-to-day activity. And so we're looking to kind of present useful, relevant information that's informed by the context, by what are their skills, what's happening around them, what's the task at hand that they're dealing with, and using that uh, insight from the frontline workers to improve safety performance. And you know, guess what? Right, engaged employees uh, look after safety for themselves and their colleagues, but they're also more productive. So why are they more productive? Well, uh, engaged employees are more committed, and so they're doing the task more effectively. But because they're engaged on safety and contributing to safety uh, improvements, they'll start to share their insights on other opportunities for improvement. And so uh, going back to my effective operations, right, one of the components of effective operations is continuous improvement. Who is it who knows where those improvement opportunities lie? Well, of course, that's the employees. And so, you know, again, good safety practice, part of the core operational ecosystem, both of promoting engagement and wider productivity benefits. So this catchphrase that we have uh, where we say mm. safety is our number one priority, we're not operating in isolation. Right? Our organizations have a wider purpose, our purpose you know, to serve customers, stakeholders, to be profitable. So, you know, my, my passion is about positioning safety where it belongs 
as a core value adding activity. And so let's start saying that safe operations is our number one priority. You seem pretty passionate about the way that perhaps safety is sometimes mispositioned. Is that a fair point? I think that's right. So, I mean, you know, I think we all probably remember at school, and I know I often was at the back of the queue here, right, where you select the sports teams and you kind of pick <laughs> one kid at yeah. a time, right? <laughs> so, well, look, as safety professionals, we don't want to be the last kid picked, do we? And actually, we've got a lot going for us, right? We've we've got a purpose, right? We're well aligned to wider societal trends. Uh, you know, we want our companies to be good corporate citizens. Uh, you know, we know that you can't leave everything to the market to sort out. You can't say that everything has a price. Right? Some of the outcomes are not acceptable. And, and I'm talking about much wider societal trends here, right? The yeah. dissatisfaction yeah. with the inequalities in society, uh, you know, kind of dealing with climate impact, um, the impact on the disadvantaged. And all of that kind of has led to the, the ESG agenda. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, different people have different views on on, on ESG, but I, th- I think you can't deny that at the heart of it is the idea that uh, we expect uh, our companies to be good corporate citizens, right? We want to, we, we believe in the trusted enterprise, uh, you know, we want, to, and, and, and that's recognised in the corporate initiatives, um, you know, and, and it's reflected mm-hmm. in, in the expectations of our customers, employees and investors. Um, so certainly, we expect our companies to act responsibly in relation to safety and, you know, to see that the good safety is value adding to their business and not a cost to be borne. And I think you're right. It's about there is so much. How to put it? It is so there is obviously so much more to the role, but you can look at it from a bigger, wider, wider picture on the impact that, that you're having. And I, and I think it's, you know, I don't think it's grandiose to to, to say that the impact on 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 the disadvantage some of the outcomes hence the esg uh, agenda which is which is like kicking in and i think it it's a good way of, of of putting that actually i i i i see it as a, it's a a big shift and sorry matthew i'm going slightly off off script here but do you think we'll ever get to this this stage of being picked first in the queue perhaps for the sports day or, or whatever one of the great things that a safety professional brings to the operations team is that you're in at the coalface mm-hmm. and you're standing back and seeing the big picture, right? So what other kind of professionals in the organization are interacting with all of the different frontline teams, kind of listening to what they've got to say, kind of putting the pieces together and and um, sort of making those connections. And I, I just think that's a, that's a huge value add for safety professionals. And so, you know, I, I'd like to think that, I mean, it might not be the very first pick, but let's let let's let's have ambitions at the right level. Let's let's try to get picked in the first third. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's it is interesting. It's a conversation that that we have a lot, and we touched a bit on the ROI about how that sort of communication that you have with, particularly post COVID, I guess you have with the board now that you, you can have that conversation. And it's it's one of the things I've been discussing or people have been saying is it'd be interesting to get the board's perspective. How does it get a person from a big enterprise from the, who sits on the board and get them to come and to speak at a conference or something about what safety is to them? Now, they're going to say more often than not, it well, it's, you know, I see it from the financial perspective. And that's fine. But um, so much more, it's, it's you hear about board buying and with the big companies that that does that does happen. But it'd be interesting to sort of really see what it means to, to someone at the top of the tree, if you like. Yeah, I mean, I, I, look, I think there's a I think there's a generational shift 
going on and board members are not they're not sort of some special species that's kind of independent of the rest of society you know we're all mm. influenced by and you know have a set of expectations about how the world should be and you know i think increasingly board members you know as that generational shift happens you know they're kind of reflecting on uh, well, they they have to they have to attract employees, they have to attract customers, they have to attract investors, right? All of those parties mm-hmm. are interested in companies that are being good corporate citizens, and that's not just about a sort of a set of safety data on a sheet. It's a, it's about companies that are properly engaging with their employees and providing kind of meaningful, enhancing, and and safe workplaces. And so, I think that that kind of uh, that way of thinking, uh, alongside obviously, there's there's you know there's a big compliance issue around uh, mm. compliance requirement around safety. But I, you know, I, I see that that kind of expectations of society becoming a more important part of the mix amongst the board members that I talk to. Let's touch on on skills and specifically, excuse me, I'm thinking in terms of of technology. Again, perhaps it relates to the the range of array of skills that the, the modern health and safety professional has to have. But when it comes to technology, obviously the vast amounts of data that's being produced in within these systems, you have to be able to spot trends and also action those trends and have an outcome and, and where almost visible, see what what happens. Um, are, are you able to elaborate on what this this means, Matthew? There's a parallel between the sort of the process of selecting, implementing, and using technology with the kind of the, the wider range of skills that are now needed um, by a, for uh, an EHS professional. I mean, first of all, there's that kind of process mindset. I already alluded to the fact that putting technology in place, one of the one of the benefits that it has is it uh, forces you to be clear on, uh, you know, designing a, an effective set of workflows and kind of in good, embedding that good practice. And so there's that kind of process mindset required. Secondly, as, as you pointed out, right, there's analytical skills. Um, so you've got the solution in place. It's going to generate a whole stack of data. You want to be able to, you know, you need to be uh, able to to use the tools to interrogate the data and spot trends. Or maybe if you're not the hands-on person, at least you need to be able to kind of ask the right questions, look at the data, and and you know, kind of fo- follow that through. So that's very important. And then thirdly, you've got to have great people and influencing skills. Right. You've got to have great people skills because you're engaging with employees and looking to get them to make great use of the technology and drive frontline kind of safety improvement. Um, but you also need great uh, influencing skills in the C-suite uh, because mm-hmm. you know your proposal to invest in technology sits alongside you know, a dozen other proposals from other parts of the business, all of which are competing for the same pot of, of capital. And so, you know, the ability to assemble the, the the business case, the ROI, to articulate the benefits and to to articulate them to, to, to the different members of the C-suite in language and with messages that, that, that will resonate with them is very important. This, I think, ties into the, to the next question, really. Again, throughout this conversation on technology, I think it's been really great touching on different elements of the of the modern professional. But I know from your um, your LinkedIn posts, and if you don't follow Matthew's on LinkedIn, I, I suggest you do. There's there's some really good posts there, but one one of which Matthew is um, about yeah promoting EHS as um, a career choice. So how how important is that to you? 
Yeah, Mark, it, it's really important to me because I just think it's a great career choice. You know, what I like about EHS is the wide variety of activities that it involves and, and the skills, therefore, that it develops. Right. So what does it require? Well, it, it requires structure. Right, you've got to establish those effective, efficient processes and ensure that they're followed. Right, as we've said, it requires analytical thinking, attention to detail. But on the other hand, it's about communicating effectively, empowering employees, influencing stakeholders right, at all levels in the organization. Right, So uh, EHS professionals then need to be comfortable dealing with people, as comfortable with dealing with people as they are with you know, developing, analyzing and optimizing processes. And meanwhile, having a solid knowledge of the systems that underpin it all. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it is that it is that great opportunity to be both hands-on and a strategic thinker, right? In at the coal face, but also able to stand back and see the bigger picture yep. and making those connections that others can't see. So, you know, I think it's a great career, but I also, you know, I don't like narrowly to think to to talk about an EHS industry or EHS careers. And the reason for that is that to me, at least for some EHS roles, they make a great career step as part of a wider operational and general management career. Right? If you think about all of those skills that I've talked about, uh, you know, the ability to do analysis, to think about processes, to communicate mm-hmm. effectively, right? who wouldn't want those skills in their toolkit as they pursue a wider operational or general management career? You know, They're super valuable skills. And what I'd really like to see is kind of career and talent departments and uh, organizations thinking about roles in EHS as part of a wider career to build those fantastic skills, but also to further embed kind of safety in that in that operations ecosystem and, and to have a, a, a larger number of people who've kind of worked uh, across the different elements of, of operations and can see how to stitch it all together. Absolutely. I was going to ask, actually, do you think it's the value of such a career needs to be communicated earlier to the talent pool that's coming perhaps off the back of, well, back in my day, A-levels and 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 now a degree, a degree et cetera. And, and to be simple, you know, is that getting to careers fairs? Is that pitching exactly what you've been saying today, Matthew, about the various different strands and stuff and sort of getting into people's heads, if you like, that way and sort of go into that level where people probably, and I'm pretty sure younger people don't see it as a, as a, career option or it doesn't sort of excite them yeah well look so our experience actually you know if you'd asked me 10 years ago yeah yeah Matthew are you going to be hiring kind of 30 grads a year into a health and safety business I'd have been thinking well now how how on earth is that (laughs) going to happen Um, but actually it's a fantastic attractor for us, right? Because people want a career that kind of gives them, you know, that that opportunity to progress and build skills, but they want to be doing something that has a purpose. And I think the purpose you know, for safety is not, you don't have to kind of, you know, create some sort of purpose statement that's sort of very artificial, right? What, what are we here to do? We're here to make per- workplaces safer. We're here, we're here yeah. to address some of those terrible statistics that, uh, that you know, um, the HSC yeah. and, and OSHA publish. And so uh, it's proven to be you know, a great attractor for grads. 
And yeah. I think more widely, I think companies can take advantage of that. And so, you know, again, I, I draw a distinction between EHS careers, right, where you are going to, you know, you, you see your kind of core skills as building building EHS. And, you know, I'm not saying that you can be a senior EHS uh, person because there's, there's a lot, there's a lot that you need to learn to get to those levels. But let's think about, let's, let's think of a in EHS as part of a kind of a, a wider career progression program. And, and, and then I think, you know, you, you definitely can appeal, appeal to a kind of a very wide range of um, new employees uh, who would see that as being attractive. Do you think as well that tech is making younger people a, a, a company like 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 yours? It's 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 pretty forward thinking. It's it's um, creating a very good culture. Do, do you think that helps as as well, if that's not too reductive thing? to say in the way that tech is going to go forward i think there's obviously you know there's an attraction of working in 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 tech or with technology which Mm. uh, you don't actually have to be in a technology business of course to to do that but i think more fundamentally yeah you've got you know we, we we do have a great culture our employees uh, really kind of like working at Evertix because of the the openness, the willing to move far, willingness to move fast, the fact that we we kind of you know give people the space to develop and you know provide those great opportunities. And so yeah, I think you're right. That combination of purpose, technology, and and culture uh, is important. I think for for our customers, safety obviously has the purpose, right? We're we're going to be using a bunch of technology. Uh, and actually, you know, if we're going to about, talk about culture, I, I, I don't like talking about safety culture. But what what is safety culture? Right? Mm. We should be talking about culture. And you know, part of what we want to do for our employees, of course, we want them to be safe, but we also want them to have kind of fulfilling roles that are engaging and good for their mental health. Cool. Thanks, Matthew. One of the things I wanted to to sort of squeeze in, and when we spoke before, it. it, it came up quite uh i could tell you again you're pretty passionate about it again it's that something that has caused a shift in the workplace one of the biggest things i'd argue post-covid and that's the whole hybrid working from home area it's raised many questions obviously around mental health which you just touched on if you're working from home you're not perhaps interacting with your colleagues over at the coffee machine or the the coffee shop or having a going for a drink after work or, or whatever conversely we're sort of told it gives us more flexibility and a better work-life balance. Now off air, you actually said this is the wrong phrase. Do you, do you want to share your thoughts on this with, with our audience? I think it's really interesting. Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, thanks, Mark. Yeah, well, that you're right. That's one of my hot buttons. I don't like the phrase. And I don't like it because of what it seems to me to imply. Um, so to me, it says that kind of work and life are somehow separate things. Right? I do my work in order to get on with my life. But actually, work is part of life. Right, mm-hmm. uh, and should be should be a very important part of life, and and so uh, you know from work I can get fulfilment, social interaction, the experience of flow, kind of a strong sense of self worth, and so you know let's think of life so differently, right? So life has many aspects, right? So work, I don't know, bringing up my family, leisure, domestic chores, whatever it might be. So really, the phrase we should be using is life balance. And if work isn't making the contribution it should, then let's make work better, right? Let's make it safe, engaging and fulfilling because it should be something that is giving us that fulfillment, that social interaction, that strong sense of worth uh, and something that is is contributing to to our mental health. Yeah, I, I, I have to admit when we 
spoke about this it's sort of and it's always good to have my head sort of disrupted a little bit in, in a positive way and I was like I hadn't really yeah that's a really good way to think about it because so often the trope is yeah you go to you hear stories about people under pressure at work and it's too and they, it's, it's, I work to live and okay fine that that works I guess for for people but I've, yeah it it is such a big part of one's life and it is something that is going to be there and it's it and to many it, it is I, I it's it's interesting isn't it? I think what you're saying it's just not perceived like that but then the perception might be perhaps the perception of this is now becoming a bit more enhanced post post covid again we've talked a bit about shifts haven't we and i think the whole shift around post covid is it, i don't would we have got there eventually i, I, I don't know but to, for it now and to happen and the questions that have come around um mental health be, because of it has been interesting but i think mark that kind of gets tied up mm. in this whole sort of hybrid stroke work from home question so you know i've got i've got a view on that i mean at evitex we're pretty flexible right so we have we the 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 majority of our staff are work from home but i don't think a pure work from home where people just don't go into the office at all is is good and and it's not good for sort of productivity because we know that that uh, i mean work from home is great for kind of concentrated individual work but you know we also know that that collaboration is better uh, works more effectively face to face and um you know there's the, the 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 serendipity that people talk about of you know the kind of the the, the coffee machine chats etc so i think for for yeah. organizations some mix at least where we get people into the office at least part of the time is is important but um you know for our conversation here it's also good for mental health, right? So I think we've we've unfortunately got ourselves to to a position where at least some colleagues have got kind of comfortable working from from home, and I don't know whether the fearful is the right word, but certainly not kind of looking for that social interaction. But they're they're perhaps not realizing the impact that that's having on them on their mental health. And sometimes we don't do the things that are good for us, right? We know we should exercise more, mm. right? We know we should eat more healthily. You know, maybe we know we should have more social interaction. And and sometimes I think companies can help with that by sort of nudging, because I know that, you know, some of my colleagues at Evertix express a strong preference for continuing to work from home. And, and of course, mm. they, they, they will. But most of them, when we do get them into the office now and again for collaboration sessions, they come away very energized and, and having mm. enjoyed that. And, and it's clearly good for their mental health. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I, I speaking to a graduate the other day after some drinks that we'd been organized after work and she she uh, literally graduated. This is her first job and was so used like had, I'm long in the tooth to say I remember getting the train up here every day Monday to Friday into Waterloo and etc and her face was just one of what but and, and I don't, don't know if you know going back to that level but I, I have started to agree yeah that just having a couple of days you know that the train usually the trains are they're awful but just doing it once a week or a couple of times a week and then getting in and you know seeing wherever you're based it it does sort of add to the whole picture I think and it does take the edge off a bit perhaps knowing that the next day or you got the long Friday or, or or whatever and um I guess it's interesting for employers to sort of you know manage just to, to to keep an eye on that but I do take your point as well Matthew yeah it's sometimes you do have to nudge and say right no we are gonna all come in today and we are gonna talk about get, uh, get gather around an iPad and we are gonna go to Nando's or whatever and afterwards and, and ultimately it is a is a good thing um listen I'm conscious of taking up your time that you've kindly 
given us Matthew and um, we're, we're pretty much at the end now and this is my generic question that I ask all the guests that that come on but I think we've got a flavour of, of the answer perhaps anyway but what is it that does in, inspire you Matthew about what you do your your role what is it that makes you get up in the morning? Of course I love working with my team and, and, and with our customers but you know, the, the, the real passion of course comes from those safety statistics right how can it be well into the 21st century that we're still killing 5,000 people a year in workplaces in Europe and North America. Mm -hmm. And it's not like these are some sort of freak accidents right there. They're mostly for well-known causes, falling from height, caught in machinery, hit by a moving vehicle, um, things that are readily preventable. And at least in North America, things are not really even moving in the right direction. And meanwhile, we're exposing most of that risk to some of the least advantaged in society, right? So these are uh, very often the risks are borne by people who are in blue collar, uh, low salaried work, maybe in precarious employment. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it can't be right. And so our mission is to help our customers to use technology to improve workplace safety and to make a difference to those terrible statistics. And, you know, that's what gets me out of bed and gives me the passion that, that I have for what I do. Thanks so much for for coming on. I, I mentioned your your link LinkedIn. I don't want to bombard you with new new connections, but are you happy for people to sort of search you out on LinkedIn? I'll put it in the show notes at the bottom. But it'd be good, I think, if people were to try and reach out and connect with you. Yeah, please do, uh, Mark. Yes, thank you, and uh, thank you for for a great chat. Cool. Thanks. Thanks again. Great having you on. Okay. Thank you. That was Matthew uh, Elson, CEO at Evertix. And thank you all for uh, listening to this podcast. I think you'll be uh, agree. It's been a really far-ranging discussion as we always aim to do. But if you are new to these to our podcast, then please do go back and check out our previous episodes. We've got a big hub page which archives all of our previous recordings. Again, I'll link this below. If you do like what you hear, you can follow on most of, in fact, all of the major podcast providers, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your uh, podcasts from. We're also available, I'm told, by the marketing team to say uh, we can be on your smart speakers. Simply ask to play the safety conversation on your smart speaker. Um, And also, we'd be really grateful if you could just rate us and comment on uh, that chosen platform that you're using. Uh, It just helps us get the show out to a wider audience. Please do stay tuned into shponline.co.uk for the very latest health and safety news. You can also sign up to our daily e-newsletter. Thanks again for listening and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.